Greetings and welcome to the For The Ride podcast. I'm your host, Adam Vanderveen, and we have made it to Season 3, Episode 6. As always, I'll start with just a little disclaimer that all the views and opinions expressed on the podcast are solely those of myself and the guest and not representative of Triumph Motorcycles. Okay, with that out of the way, I'm going to jump right into a listener comment. This one comes from BMC Guy. Title of the comment is Love It and Ideas for Content. BMC Guy said, What a show! I own a couple of Triumph motorcycles and really enjoy the conversations I hear here. Can I recommend a couple of folks to interview? I'm a big fan of the writer, Peter Egan. He got me interested in Triumph motorcycles and would be fascinating to have on the show. I also recommend Sturgeon Dunbar of Revzilla. Evidently, he still owns a Bonneville that he's ridden across the country several times. He's fun to listen to and would make a great show. Okay, BMC guy, that was a a fantastic comment that you wrote in with. I actually love it when listeners write in with suggestions. I don't know Peter. I do happen to know Spurgeon, though, and I believe that Spurgeon knows Peter. So when I reach out to Spurgeon, I'll ask him for an introduction, and hopefully we can get both of those as future guests. In the meantime, BMC guy, just please shoot me an email to fortheridus at triumphmotorcycles.com with your address and t-shirt size, and we'll get a shirt shipped out to you right away. And then for everybody else listening, if you would like to get a free t-shirt from Triumph Motorcycles, please just leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. We love hearing suggestions, particularly like the ones that a BMC guy just left and we would love to hook you up with a free t-shirt. Okay, next I'm going to dive into a little bit of Triumph news. This one I've been sitting on for a little bit, just waiting for the right time to announce it, but Triumph is going to make a very big return to Barber Motorsports Park the first week of October for Barber Vintage Festival. Now, that event alone is a really phenomenal event. It's a full weekend full of vintage motorcycle racing at one of the best tracks in the country. And if you've been there before, you may have remembered an area that's an infield part of the track. It used to be called Ace Corner. Well, Triumph has fully taken over that space, and we're going to rename it the Isle of Triumph. We're going to fill it with all sorts of cool activities. We're going to have some music. We'll have a motorcycle show. We'll have a bunch of our partners in that space and just overall going to create a a really cool festival within the festival. So if you've never made it out to Barber Vintage Fest, I think this year is the year to do it. Again, it's the first weekend of October. We'd love to see you there. And if you can't make it to that event, please come visit any event you can make it out to. You can see our full listing at triumphontour.com. All right, next I'd like to introduce today's guest. Her name is Cinnamon Kearns. And speaking of events, I actually know her from events. Well, we've gotten to know each other through events as Cinnamon has been leading the AIM Expo. If anybody's not familiar with what the AIM Expo is, that is the motorcycle industry's trade show in North America. So the past couple of years, it's been in Las Vegas and it's been industry only. Cinnamon does a, a phenomenal job organizing that event and, and has really grown it in the past few years. I've already seen a record level of commitment from OEMs for the 2024 AIM Expo. So really excited to, to do that and just have a good opportunity to see and interact with 
everybody else from the industry, from different gear companies to dealers, that it's actually a really good opportunity for everybody to get in front of the dealer network and collectively get the industry excited about moving forward and really hopefully growing ridership. Beyond organizing that event, one of Cinnamon's biggest accomplishments in the past couple of years has been actually launching a, a campaign that's dedicated to growing ridership. It's called Ride With Us. They do a lot of activities. We're going to dive into it, but I, I think it's one of the most important things that anybody could do, and I've been really excited to talk to Cinnamon about it and hear what she's doing. So let's just dive right into that. I got the key to the highway. Cinnamon, thanks for welcoming me here today. So we are in the Motorcycle Industry Council's headquarters. Uh, you guys actually have a proper media room, which is great. We we just kicked out your president. We so. did. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. <laughs> uh, thankful for him for for giving up the room, but he said he only needed it for a minute, and we need it for uh, about a good hour or so. So, so I buckle hope up. I, <laughs> I hope I have enough to talk about for that long. <laughs> no, you you will, I'm sure. So. Um, Maybe I, actually, um, we're, we're going to start with an easy one. Could could you just? Uh, I'd like to hear you pronounce your name because I'm I'm going to uh, like uh, announce it in the intro, and I don't want to butcher it. It is Cinnamon Kearns. All right, Cinnamon Kearns. There we go. Um, well, let's uh, let's just start by getting to know you a little bit. So uh, right now you're. Um, what's your title? So I'm the vice president of market expansion. Uh, and what that means is, um, oh, my voice gets so shaky. <laughs> you can edit this stuff out, right? Totally. <laughs> okay. Um, so as vice president of market expansion, I, my, my, me and my team, we're responsible for the expansion of power sports and getting more people riding more. Kind of the, the entity that you have, it, it probably many countries around the world have something similar. So uh, Canada has the MMIC, uh, the U.S. has uh, Motorcycle Industry Council, and I, I'm guessing many, many countries have um, some sort of uh, representative uh, body. So uh, long story short, that that's who you work for here. Correct. <laughs> um, but I, I'd love to just get to know... Kind of, we'll get into all the things that you're doing now, but um, I'd love to have a good understanding of how you got here. So, what was uh, how did you did you ride before you started working uh, for the motorcycle industry? I did. I um, I always wanted to ride when I was younger. I, for those of you that are older, the movie Tron, the original one, back in the I think 80s. Um, I just thought that was the coolest thing in the entire world. Uh, fast forward to Top Gun, again, the original one. Um, and I mean, Tom Cruise on that bike, that was all I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be a pilot, but back then girls that wore glasses could not be in the Air Force and, and fly fighter jets. I didn't want to fight, or I just, sorry, I didn't want to fly you know, big cargo planes. I wanted to fly <laughs> fighter jets and that just wasn't an option. So motorcycles it was. Um, so I got my license in 98. Um, I lived in Chicago at the time. So, you know, you rode in the summer, in the winter, I didn't have a garage. I kept it in a storage unit. I didn't really have any friends that rode. 
Um, I would go once a week and ride it around the block because I didn't know about battery tenders. <laughs> so I rode in the snow. I had on my jacket and my boots, <laughs> and I would just ride around the block in the snow. And in hindsight, probably not the smartest thing. But, I mean, otherwise, I didn't know how else to keep my battery going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Internet didn't exist. Um, oh, I am really dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, but um, I moved out to California because I, I really did want more riding weather. I wanted to be warm all the time. Moved out to California with my bike. Um, I worked in the medical industry at the time, so I did medical events. And in California, um, you know, I transferred jobs, but it was, it was just different when I came out here. Again, I didn't have friends when I rode. I, now I didn't have family, and I was just kind of lonely. And, you know, actually that has nothing to do with me riding. Um, but I was at my medical job, and the printer that we used to print brochures on heart surgery said, hey, I work with Advanstar in the International Motorcycle Shows. So probably a lot of people here have heard of those. It's a, it was a national tour that went around the country, and they said that they were looking for a sales manager. I didn't sell. I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't want to sell. Uh, you know, everybody thinks of used car salesmen when you think about sales, but I wanted to work in the power sports industry because I was so passionate about motorcycles. And I went there and they interviewed me. They asked, who's in your black book? Do, does anybody still remember the whole black book thing and the people you knew? And I had nothing. I just looked at them and I just, I had nothing. And so they politely asked me to leave because I was right. not. Yeah, because I wasn't selling anything that you, day. You weren't going to bring any uh, any. No, I was. Yeah. I wasn't selling anything. They wanted you for your contacts or, yeah. or whoever they hired. Sure. And I had my my best contact was myself, um, but they they called me later and the person that ran their events in the international motorcycle shows had just resigned. And, you know, sometimes the universe aligns and it was a perfect fit. And I went from doing medical shows in fancy convention centers to my very first event, which was Daytona Bike Week. All right. <laughs> which was, <laughs> that was trial by fire for sure. I didn't know that uh, IMS didn't, was set up in conjunction with uh, Daytona at one point. Yeah. So IMS used to run the... Um, over at the track. So, you know, in Daytona, you have downtown. Yeah. Um, you have uh, JMP mm -hmm. and the Harley dealers out there. And then at the Speedway, that's where all the OEs were set up. And then we ran Daytona Speedway Village, which was all the aftermarket components of it then. Okay. Super cool. So, yeah, that we, we go to that um, every year. And, and um, we, we've been fortunate that we have a, a dealership with a, a really nice location. Um, just at, at the foot of the bridge to Main Street. Okay. So we've we've sort of done a, a dual setup. We'll have uh, a small truck on display uh, at the track, just with, and this is like only in the past couple of years. So um, I, I'm sure Triumph has done uh, done it lots of ways over the past you know decade plus. But um, in the past few years, we've had just a, a little display truck at the track, basically saying go to our dealership for demos because it's just you know uh, 15 minutes away. But then from there. Um, we do a nice demo loop north, yeah. um, and, and around the track, it's you, you've probably experienced this. Um, it, it's not the the best place for demos because you're you're basically going in a circle, sitting in traffic. Yeah, it's a uh, it's rough traffic too. Yeah, and but a lot of people don't realize five minutes away from the track is great riding. I mean, I actually used to have my bike shipped down for Daytona because I didn't have time to sign up for demos. But when the show closed, I would jump on my bike and ride. It was amazing. I loved it. 
Perfect. So then, uh, yeah, so I, I, so I threw in the acronym uh, IMS, but yeah, International Motorcycle Show and IMS, uh, th- those are synonymous. Um, so so uh, w- when you took, uh, took on that role, um, aside from Daytona, was it primarily what I would know it as, which was the, the, the big indoor shows? For, yeah. So Daytona was the outdoor show. Um, it, for one or two years, we did Day- Biketoberfest in the fall as well. So we'd start with Bike Week, do a tour across the country of indoor shows. Um, some had out, you know, just demos outside, and then we'd end with Biketoberfest. Okay. Um, it, like at its peak, how many events were you doing in a year? Uh, about 12. Okay, that's big. Yeah, I th- I, actually, I take that back. Well, not that three matters, but it kind of does when you're going. We're like fancy circus workers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think 15 was the height of the IMS shows. And then it probably averaged 10 to 11 after that. Okay. And um, and then each of those, it was like a, a one weekend deal? Yep. The Friday through Sunday um, at a convention center. Ideally, you have demos because we all know the best way to pursue our passion is to get on the bike and try it out. So yeah. um, it was a really great opportunity for demo rides because it was just all the manufacturers in one place. It, it was a great tour. So I know the um, the Long Beach one, it was Long Beach, right? The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Long Beach one had demos, um, but a lot of these were during the, the winter time mostly. So uh, how many events like could you even do demo at just because it was winter time and in, in, in a lot of northern markets? I mean, probably three or four. We had Atlanta, we had Dallas, uh, there was Long Beach, there was Northern Cal. So, I mean, there's four off the top of my head. Okay. That's so. a good amount. Uh, so I, I just came, um, so, you know, I, I started here in, in 19 with, with Triumph. Okay. So I did, um, one traditional IMS effort and it was the, the Long Beach one, uh, in what it would have been fall of 2019. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, and then uh, as we know, things changed uh, pretty radically from there. So, uh, and then we would have been at, uh, Daytona that year too. So, uh, um, Daytona actually is my, uh, it, it's so distinct in my mind of, of COVID where we were there and, and the first weekend of it, the world was normal and the second yeah. weekend it, it wasn't. And, and just over that 10 days by, you know, um, by that second weekend, it all like different OEMs were saying like, Hey, do, do we need to like shut down a day early? Like it was just... It's yeah. weird how fast and in real time it happened, but um, and then going from there, then the the following year uh, is, is the one and only year of IMS Outdoors. Yep. And w- were you still with the the organization at the time, or had you kind of transitioned to MIC? No, I so I left IMS back in 2011 to um, join Mike Webster, who also had worked on the International Motorcycle Shows um, forever. And Larry Little, who at the who had been publisher of Cycle World magazine, another icon from the past, magazines and <laughs> and Larry. Not that he's an icon; he's an icon. We'll fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Cycle Larry was publisher of Cycle World magazine. Mike had started the IMS shows, and they went to a company called Marketplace Events that was getting ready to launch a new trade and consumer show here in the country. Um, the inspiration was ICMA. So for those of you that aren't familiar. ICMA is one of the biggest power sports shows that takes place. It's in Italy, in Milan, um, and it is for trade and consumers. So the first two days, it's all about new product. It's about um, 
media, launching product, and then you have the trade side of it for the B2B uh, connections, and then they open their doors to consumers. And the first year I went to ICMA, I was actually part of IMS, and we on the tour had given away a trip for two at every stop on the IMS tour. And they needed somebody with an operations background to escort the tour, or this it, tour, sorry, let me use my words. Um, this trip to Italy for all the winners. And I was the one that rode in the office, so they sent me to Italy. I mean, I was a 20-something-year-old kid being sent to Milan to ride oh, around, yeah. <laughs> you know, to ride around the um, Italian Riviera. It was the best experience of my life. Um, but having said, the, the whole point of that story, though, is um, we were there on the trade days, and it was amazing. But I will never forget standing in the hall on the consumer days when the doors opened. And, I mean, it was like standing in the middle of Times Square uh, on New Year's Eve. It was just overwhelming the amount of people that came in. And that's one thing, you know, Europe has so many riders, and they're so passionate about it. And that's really what I would love to see in our country. But... Um, that was what we wanted to bring to the American market was that, you know, connection between the media and the trade and the consumer and just bring it all together. Okay. Uh, so then, and I, that then became the AIM Expo? Yes. Okay. And, and so we, not that we've talked about that, but AIM Expo is the American International Motorcycle Expo. Um, we launched that in 2013. That is one of the other things I work on in addition to market expansion because we use it as a way to connect our dealers, our manufacturers, you know, all of our member categories with new products, new trends. And, you know, when our industry does better, it's just automatically going to exponentially increase our reach and growing our industry and our market. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, so 2013. So prior to that, was there like a trade-focused motorcycle show in the U.S. ever? There was. So it was called Dealer Expo. It was around, I think, for almost 50 years. It took place traditionally in Indianapolis. Um, I worked on that. That was also under the Advanced R umbrella uh, with the International Motorcycle Shows. Um, so I had the privilege of working on that event as well. Okay, and then. Did that close at some point? So there was a gap? Or? It did. Um, so it's just a little sensitive. So I just want to. Uh, no, no worries. <laughs> so basically when we launched AIM Expo, it put Dealer Expo out of business. Mm. They were already struggling. So it was our opportunity. But I just you know, like to keep it positive and not really. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. No, it makes sense. And um, I'll say uh, I've always brought a maybe unique perspective to trade shows in the motorcycle industry because i was coming out of the, the boating industry um so in the in the boating industry they're like trade shows are very strong but i think especially like true industry um trade but my observation there is um there's so i mean there's hundreds of boat builders in the united states and then most boat builders are just putting together components that they're buying from other companies so um you you're, you may be uh really good at building uh, a hull of a boat and then you're going to buy somebody else's uh furniture and and uh cleats and electronics and engine um so you're as a as a small boat builder that might build 100 boats a year you're going to a trade show to actually purchase all the components that you're going to put into your boat and um, so you're going for sourcing. Yeah. So those shows are, are massive, but I, but I think there's so much, um, everybody is relying on each other for genuine componentry. 
Um, and, and this industry is a little bit different where um, the, the motorcycle manufacturers are, are doing so much from start to finish themselves. Uh, and then th there's a lot of aftermarket companies that are also doing their own thing. So there's, it seems like there's a lot less um, purchasing from each other in this industry and, and, um, and maybe more the, the, the big benefit of a trade show is actually um, getting finished products in front of dealer networks. I, that, that's probably fair to say. I mean, we are a fiercely competitive industry for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. You hear people talk about other industries and the competition, you know, obviously there's always going to be competition in business, but what we have is a brand loyalty that a lot of industries don't see the way we do. So, you know, the person that's buying the Triumph compared to a different brand, they're so loyal to that Triumph brand. Um, and I think as riders, we can all relate to that. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just the, the bike, it's the gear, it's the, you know, the jacket, the t-shirt and everything else that goes with it. But, you know, getting back to your point, um, it is for us, AIM Expo is about connecting with the dealers. We were for a few years when we launched open to consumers and, you know, the reality is the MIC is about B2B. We're about the trade, we're about the industry. And so we took a step back and realized that it made sense to really just focus on our core audience, which is the, ma the manufacturers, the dealers, the aftermarket, you know, and the service providers within our industry. And so we took away the consumer component. Um, we focused on the trade side of it. And so that it really does come down to connecting dealers with the aftermarket manufacturers, because you know, when you talk about that brand loyalty, when you talk about that you know, sense of ownership, one of the things people want to do most is make that bike their own. And, you know, really the, the buying process, it starts with the bike, but it definitely doesn't end there. And it can go on for years and years and years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I've, I've gone uh, the past couple of years now to, um, to the AMESCO, which you're uh, responsible for. So uh, congratulations for um, growing that, uh, again, kind of coming out of a, a couple of years being shut down. So the, uh, I think you had, uh, some record numbers last year in Vegas. So. We did. The show was great for us. I mean, you know, COVID was tough on events. I, that'd probably be an understatement, quite frankly. <laughs> um, but, you know, interestingly, the motorcycle industry, the power sports industry saw a huge surge in sales, which is a great opportunity for us when we talk about growing that, that market expansion. Um, but from the show's perspective, you know, coming back online, the show was successful. Um, this year, you know, traditionally we launch with, uh, you know, a small handful of manufacturers. This year we have more than 12 on the floor plan. We have three major distributors. The show is shaping up to be huge this year. We're super excited. Um, but now we need to connect the show with the market expansion initiative and get that industry on board so we can really start telling the story of why we ride and why riding is great and what it can bring to your life. Okay. So we're, we're going to come to that. I, but before we dive fully into market expansion, um, the, uh, I want to touch on, on one thing about IMS a little bit. Um, we have some mutual connections. So I think um, for many years during the IMS shows, you worked with... Um, our stunt guys and, and our listeners would certainly know. Uh, we, we we talk about these guys all the time, but Nick and Ernie. Oh, I love Nick and Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> so they're probably going to get mad at me for telling this story. But you know, when they came on board, they weren't riding Triumphs at the time. Um, 
but God, they were su- they were kids. I mean, they were just kids, and they were shoved into this, you know, like I said, fancy circus show that we went across the country, and you know, they were working to save money, and you know, we'd have early morning media calls. Which, for those of you that know Nick, know that early morning media calls not his gig at all. Four a.m. on a bike. Oh, he, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did not love that even a little bit. Um, and sometimes they'd actually sleep at the show under the table, <laughs> like, just just to make sure they, they were going to be there. They were just they were just them and. Um, yeah. I just, I remember some nights I would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and leave it so they would have something to eat in the middle of the night. I just, they were just so great to work with. I, I just love them. <laughs> I do. What, what was, um, so what kind of shows were they doing? Were, were they doing shows indoors? Yeah. At, okay. So they did stunt shows indoors. Um, can I mention another OE, br- another brand on yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, right. they, they rode Ducatis. That was yep. their start. Um, and they were riding monsters, and at the time I rode a monster, so maybe that's part of the reason why I just felt such a connection with them. Um, but yeah, they did indoor stunt shows. We sprayed coke on the floor and just always hoped for the best, and it always worked out. Man, what a, what a different time when you could turn on engines indoors. Oh, <laughs> you're telling me, and those things screamed. Oh, I bet. Uh, so how did the how did the crowd respond to that? They loved it. I mean, we'd been doing indoor stunt shows for a long time. I think we had the Ball of Steel boys there, yeah. which, you know, is the big globe with the bikes in there. But um, they they were the first full-size street bikes that we ran indoors. And people just, they loved it because it was, it was unexpected. Right, right. How many years uh, were they doing that with you then? I think probably two or three before they outgrew us. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and so, so then at some point, I, I know when they started working with us, um, it's I, I was just telling the story recently, but they um, then they got into doing tons of dealer events. And, uh, yep. and funny enough, like talking to those guys, that they, they have so much passion for, uh, well, they, they love just performing, but uh, they, they really have a lot of passion for the dealer network and then going out and uh, doing a lot of stunt shows at dealer events. So. Yeah, and we actually, the first year we launched AM Expo, we brought them out because they were just... They're just so great to work with. I just love them. <laughs> I already said that, but I can't help it. Yeah, well, uh, anytime, uh, if, if you're throwing a big event and you, you need some stunt guys, you, you know those are the guys, and, and we'll support that as well. You guys have electric bikes coming, right? Um, so this is um, – Triumph has – we've shown – uh, an electric uh, prototype's not the right word. It, it's more of a it was a concept bike. So yeah. we did a a one of one concept bike. Okay. Um, it was uh, very re- reminiscent to our speed triple. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe it, we we actually used a speed triple frame to to build a one of one uh, electric bike uh, around that a concept bike called the TE one. So um, the 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 real intent of that was to just start to learn and test and 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 get a good idea for capabilities and f- start finding the right partners so you know we we've um uh partnered with a, a lot of great companies in in the UK uh around like battery technology and things like that and um certainly uh, Triumph uh understands that uh, there is going to be a time where uh, uh electric is the the dominant technology and and um so we want to make sure that we're ready for that. Uh, but there's, at the minute, um, that that's not in the immediate future. But the, another thing that we've done um, is we've 
uh, acquired a brand called Osset. Uh, and then so Osset uh, is a um, an electric trials bike manufacturer. Um, so that is uh, that is part of the uh, the Triumph family now. Um, can't get into a, a ton of details on on how that's going to evolve, but uh, that is an exciting part of uh, the, our current family. So, well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I was no, just more no, getting. I, <laughs> I, I, th- 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 this is. Uh, I'm happy to always dance around the subjects and and share what I can share and not share what I can't. Well, my whole point was as soon as they get on electric, then Nick and Ernie can come back to the convention center and be indoors with us. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you know that Nick. Um, he made some of his own electric bikes. So I I don't know how many people know this, but for a minute he had that show in Las Vegas. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of it, but um, I went with my husband. You went? Oh, you're the I, only, you're the first person I know that's gone to it. This is amazing. As soon as I heard that he was doing it, I think we were in Vegas literally the next weekend to see it because... I mean, one, how cool is it to know somebody that's on the stage doing that? Um, It was so unique. It's not like any other Vegas show. And I was so bummed that it didn't have the longevity that some of the other shows did. But um, I know that was one of his electric projects that he worked on. And... um, yeah, that it was a really unique show. I'm That's, not. I'm uh, not sure what other word to use. I, I need to, like. I'm. I need to ask him if like any video even exists of it. Like, cause I I've I've not seen it, but it it sounded so cool. So it, effectively, it was like a a Las Vegas Cirque du Soleil uh, show, but it was effectively merged Cirque du Soleil with an action movie, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It kind of felt like you were. Uh, in sort of like a comic book, um, so not the, not as much artistry as maybe a Cirque du Soleil, more action for sure. Um, there were parts of it that were uh, kind of intense too. Okay. <laughs> was, there were parts. I'm not sure it was entirely family fun. Yeah, I was, bet it was not. It yeah. was good. Um, so I'd, I've seen the the bikes that he built for that. So he he basically converted some of his um, Triumph stunt bikes into electric motorcycles that he could. Um, perform uh, in these indoor Cirque du Soleil shows. And um, I mean, it, it, my understanding is that, I mean, they were doing like fight sequences with motorcycles. Like, yeah, pretty using, much. Like, <laughs> like uh, doing crazy stunts to like, you know, uh, do like motorcycle combat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, uh, you know, maybe think to like a revolutionary war scene with, you know, the guys on the horses, but motorcycles. But they're on bikes. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, yeah. So, and then uh, because it was indoor, it had to be electric. So electric bikes that Nick like personally fabricated. Yeah. Um, so it's so super cool that he did that. So and if nothing else, um, maybe you can pull those out of the garage. <laughs> maybe I'll, I will bring that up to him <laughs> as soon as we're done. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so great that you worked with those guys and, and then had that uh, IMS experience. And then um, it, that's all of that has brought you to where you are now where um beyond events uh you're responsible for uh effectively the the outreach component of the motorcycle industry council um so that's a a big responsibility i'm glad it's in your hands and um so i'd love to learn a little bit about that and um Maybe just where I, I know before you jumped into it, um, you guys did the right thing and started with a research phase. We did. We worked with a, con- a company called Centauric. Uh, I think they spent, I mean, it was several months, a 
ton of feedback from OEs, from aftermarket, from members, from consumers, just to really understand um, what new riders would potentially be looking for, what are the barriers to entry, and just really understanding what we can do. I mean, we all ride, so you know, it's sometimes hard to take a step back and understand why somebody wouldn't want to ride. I mean, I ask myself that every time I get on my bike. Who doesn't love this? I mean, it makes no sense. <laughs> but the reality is there are a lot of people that they just, whether they have those barriers to entry, if it's, you know, money, if it's fear, if it's family influence, um, it, it could also be just that they haven't thought about it. I mean... There's a, you look around and people are doing things all the time and you're like, oh, that could be cool. But you never actually connect the dots to that's something I could do. And so we, you know, we worked with Centauric to, you know, really kind of understand uh, what are the phases of becoming a rider, which, you know, is um, inspire, explore, engage, integrate, which is, you know, again, inspiration. That's that's with anything. I mean, that's, you know, in sales and marketing, that's <laughs> that's your foundation. People have different words for it. But at the end of the day, it's inspiring somebody to want to do that activity, um, you know, and helping them along the process. So when you talk about the explore stage, you know, it's what is that information? And again, we take it for granted because we ride every day and, you know, it just becomes part of our life so we we it, we don't think twice about having to find that information but the reality is it can be hard I mean the internet is so overwhelming with the amount of information that's out there so we actually just launched our website ridewithus.com um, and it's really meant to be that landing point to get enough information to figure out what the next steps are you know what you know there are people again we take it for granted, but what kind of bike do you want to ride? Is it a dirt bike? Is it a street bike? I mean, at its highest level, you know, you have those two differences. And there's, you know, a thousand different bikes in between to fit any particular lifestyle. Um, and then, you know, again, that um, integrate. How do you take that next step? How do you become a rider? You know, where do you get that training? Because, uh, again, it's we do it, so it's not difficult for us. But if you don't know where to go, it's intimidating. I mean, a lot of people now don't know how to drive a manual transmission. So the idea of shifting it can be scary. But there's a ton of bikes out there that now you don't, it's, you, you don't have a clutch. You don't have to worry about it. It's easy. But people don't know that. So, you know, it's our job to help uh, provide that education and that information and then connect people with the community. So, you know, over the last couple of years, the power sports industry saw a huge surge in ridership over the last couple of years during COVID. And we need to make sure we keep those people connected and connect them with that community because, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, I think as an industry, you know, as a whole, we've recognized that riding is so much more than the motorcycle. We were talking about that, you know, brand affinity and loyalty, and it's about the community. And I know you just got back from a, you know, big lifestyle event and, you know, the bikes are part of it, but it's about just the whole culture of who you are and, you know, finding your identity and that freedom. And, you know, motorcycling can bring so many different things to your life, you know, whether it's adrenaline, whether it's that sense of zen when you're just out in the open country, um, it just provides so many different things, but again, people don't know that. So we want to really help bring that, you know, to the forefront of their mind and make them realize that, you know, motorcycling, it's not, it doesn't have to be scary. It's not intimidating and we're not intimidating, you know, as riders. I mean, I think our best brand ambassadors are our current riders, but again, if you don't know us, you don't know us. Yeah. Um, yeah so just listening to you talk, um, it, I'll sum up your 
your challenge, uh, and it's um, I draw a direct comparison to a book I've become very familiar with in the last couple of years because I have, I got a, a four and six year old, um, Green Eggs and Ham. Oh. <laughs> So, like, motorcycling is green eggs and ham. And if you try it, try it. You will like it. (laughs) I think that's fair. And, you know, so one of our activations, and not that you've asked, but, you know, so the MIC, we launched the brand Ride With Us um, because people don't know what the MIC is. Consumers, at the end of the day, Motorcycle Industry Council isn't going to make them want to go out and get on a bike. Um, But Ride With Us, I mean... Come join us, right? Mm-hmm. So our our brand for market expansion is Ride With Us. And one of the components of Ride With Us are moto intros. And, you know, that is our green eggs and ham. So we go to events. We provide these 30-minute experiences where people can get on a bike. We work with uh, Motorcycle Safety Foundation coaches. So it's going to be in a controlled environment. It's going to be with people that are trained to, you know, help you learn to ride the right way um, and give you that hands-on experience. So, you know, we can take the intimidation factor out of just that first step of becoming acquainted with riding. Um and then people can make that decision if they want to continue and pursue becoming a rider or not. But sometimes you just need that actual experience to trigger the spark that's going to make you go, this is life changing. I need to do this. Yeah. Well, it's a couple things, right? If you, and you might learn one way or the other right away. So that that's fine. And there's, um, it, maybe it's not absolutely for everybody. My wife took, um, uh, the, the dirt school mm-hmm. and, um, and so she, she took a, a motorcycle training course uh, quite a few years ago, um, got through it, got her license, and just ended up not really riding much. And, and then um, many, many years later, um, like a little over a year ago, took uh, the dirt school and just had fun. This is the, yeah. and she, she sort of like fell in love with riding just from that course, just because it was fun. And yep. then she's like, oh, the, like, I want to do this. And then went back and, and went to the course to get her license. And, and um, now she rides. She has a, a street twin. Um, you know, it, well, it, at, at the time, it actually is a street twin. We've, we've renamed it Speed Twin 900. But um, so she's got a street twin. And um, she's just on her first DGR. So she, she rode in the gentleman's ride uh, on her bike with me in, uh, in Atlanta. And uh, was a little intimidated to do that because she had never done a group ride yet, but um, you, you know, it, it had a great time and overcame that. But um, but it all just started from having fun, like yeah. just taking a bike and uh, it doing it in an environment that it was not like um, super rigid. It was just hey, just, just we're going to get on, we're going to learn, uh, we're going to have fun, um, and I think you know, most of the the people in her course had the exact same experience and, and one didn't. And one was like, you know what? It's, it's not for me. And and that's okay too. Uh, that's totally yeah. okay. But that's part of it is at least now, you know, so yeah. you're not going to spend your life wondering, you know, coulda, shoulda. And I mean, let's be honest. I know parachuting, not for me. I don't need to go up in a plane you to know, figure that out. You know, because you've tried? <laughs> no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> No, I am. I'm happy to go fast on my motorcycle. I get my my adrenaline thrill that way. Um, But at the end of the day, the whole point is you think about trying it. Some people know they don't want to, but, you know, hopefully 
there's the curiosity and people come out and can figure it out on their own. There's that. Yeah. So, yeah, and if you try it, I, I think so. a couple of things where I was going to go with this. I think one, you just might realize how fun it is. Uh, but then the other thing you might realize is like, it's, it's not maybe this thing you've built up in your head. Uh, and your, the, the, your moto intros do a good job at that. It's not, uh, you, you make it very not intimidating. It's, um, the, the, the one I went to was, uh, in the grass actually. So, um, uh, my wife, uh, did one of your moto intros after she had already, I think done the dirt school and, and she did it with her dad and, and her dad right. had never ridden before, but, um, that, that was at the IMS outdoors Atlanta. Was it Atlanta? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they were just they were in town. Um, yeah. And and we all as a family went out to that event, and you happened to have uh, one of those intros there. So her dad got on it, and like like he hasn't started riding yet, but it's it's in his head now. Like yeah. I can tell you that it's um, he travels a lot for for his job, and I think he's at a point where it's not it hasn't been practical for him to get a bike he remembers that still and he talks about it and he remembers that it was fun and you know it, it, he he's looking right yeah. it was just just because he got a, a little bit of a taste enough and 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 sometimes that's all it takes well and from us you know the secondary part of that is he's going to talk about it and so maybe he's not going to get a bike tomorrow but he's still talking you know and you look about you look at that exponential reach and that's when we talk about how our current riders are our best ambassadors but it's also people that have just tried it and know that they love it so even if you don't have a bike you can still be that spokesperson and um just lost my train of thought um i don't know well all right so i, <laughs> anyway. so I have a i have a question for you so okay with um current riders uh, being the industry's best ambassadors. Uh, so a lot of your job is outreach to, to new riders, but, um, you know, for this podcast, I, I, I have no idea. I don't have a way of polling this, but I'm just going to assume that most people that listen to our podcast are current riders. Um, what, what would be the best way for a current rider to encourage their friends or family to, to start riding or to try riding? Like what, what's the, uh, a couple things. Uh, we'll get into maybe practically what's the best avenue for them to coach their people. But even when they're talking about it, because this is a uh, this is one of these things. Um, and maybe you remember this from the research. Like you know what it means to you, but um, if you found any, any ways that a current rider can best convey the experience of riding to somebody that doesn't ride, you know. So it's, it's a hard question to answer because I think the current, I don't think there's a way to tell a current rider how to convey that message because it honestly just happens so organically. You know, it's just like when people ask why I ride, I don't have an answer. I don't know why I ride. It's just in my DNA. I couldn't imagine not riding. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the answer that to that question is there's no answer. You know, you just talk about what, you know, why is it important to you? And, you know, what does it bring you? And, you know, at the end of the day, it, you're just going to convey that why without even meaning to. Yeah. So, so maybe then the important thing is just to talk about it I, I, and whatever that is for you. It's a, but, but talk about it. And, and um, because we all, it, it, this is something that, um, we should want to see grown because it is. Uh, I, I've always seen that uh, the motorcycle community is a very welcoming community mm -hmm. uh, to to new riders, uh, at least here um, in the U.S. Uh, funny, I've um, 
one of my employees uh, for a while uh, was from the UK, and um, he said maybe culturally it's a, a little bit, a uh, little different. But he his experience of moving to America and was and seeing the motorcycle culture here was that it's a very welcoming culture. And once somebody learns that you're a rider, they want to bring you in and embrace you and introduce you to, you know, to, to everybody in their riding circle. For sure. I mean, I don't do good with small talk. I'm not going to ask how the weather is. But as soon as I see someone that rides, what are you riding? What do you ride today? Where'd you go? What's your last trip? So you always have that common denominator where you know there's always going to be conversation, which is helpful for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So then um, so, so I asked the hard question, is, which is how do you convey it? But so say a, a current rider has spoken to um, a, a friend, a coworker, a family that, and, and maybe has inspired them to, to want to give riding a try. What, how can they then, what advice can they give that person that's now interested in like, what are the, the right pathways to take? I mean, really the only pathway is, I shouldn't say the only pathway, but the only pathway that I would ever talk about would be taking a training course, which is, you know, the Motorcycle Safety Foundation offers them depending on the states. There's other organizations within states that offer them. Um, I know there's the USMC, which is the U.S. Motorcycle Coaches Association, but there are organizations that offer that training. And, you know, really a, a confident rider is going to be the best rider. They're safer. Um and I think, you know, when you're confident and when you're safe, you have great experiences and then you, it, it becomes part of, again, part of that lifestyle. And then you become a lifetime rider instead of somebody that just tried it once and it didn't work out. Okay. Um, so then, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, so we, we've talked about, um, the, the moto intros a little bit, but, um, where, where are some of the places you guys are doing that just to connect to new people? And, and, and how does how's that working out for you? Uh, so we, this year, we're going to the Overland Expos, which there are four of them across the country. Um, and we're always looking for different events. So new this year, we're going to actually be at Sturgis. So we are working with the city of Sturgis, and we're going to have an activation there Um and we'll be inviting media to come out because I think that's another component of what's important uh, as far as getting people to ride is to get media involved with what riding is and what it means. Um, so we'll be at Sturgis. We'll be looking at doing that as, you know, obviously a new rider introductory event, but also connecting with media there uh, to tell a different story than what people might traditionally think about Sturgis um, and just show a different side of, you know, again, what people would normally think about the Sturgis rally. Yeah. Um, on that note, so, and I'm curious kind of where, uh, where, where some of that original research, um, discovered this as well, but, um, our industry has a reputation, right? So it, I think is there, it, it, how prevalent do you still think, um, non-riders perception of, you know, motorcycling being, um, and trying to f figure out the right way to say this, but right they, they, there was always this sort of like rebel bad boy sort of image associated with riders, and and um, it's not necessarily accurate, but it is it, to to a lot of non-riders that they, they have this um, they they could have a like a hooligan uh, perception. How do you see that that still um, 
the case or an issue? And, and if so, like, how would you recommend overcoming that? You know, I'm actually not sure that that is still an issue. I mean, I'm sure it is for some people, right? I mean, every, I mean, every sport, every, everything in life, there's going to be, you know, someone that's going to leave a, you know, bad first impression. But I, I don't necessarily think that is one of our, you know, core obstacles. Um, I think there's so many different kind of motorcycles now, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if you think about it, maybe when that, you know, stigma was attached to riders, it was during a time when there weren't as many, you know, different styles of motorcycles. Um, And, you know, fast forward to today, I mean, look at your lineup. Your lineup is so diverse and covers so many different lifestyles. And I think when you look out on the road, you know, that's what it looks like. And so it's just, I think the perception has changed by the product offerings that exist. Okay. No, that that's, uh, I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's growing and certainly, yeah, the, the more diverse the industry gets, um, the more I think even outsiders would just, see that diversity hopefully and and um and not hang on to to old stigmas um so before before we move on um just want to ask if somebody wanted to find a moto intro and maybe the 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 most important thing is um if somebody wanted to bring a friend to a moto intro um is there is there a place where you have them all listed so we do it's ridewithus.com which again, it has the basic steps of, you know, things to consider when you're thinking about becoming a rider. Um, if you're a current rider, there's resources there of, you know, maybe things you hadn't thought about or, you know, things you can share with your, you know, potential new rider friend. Um, but yeah, ridewithus.com is it. Okay. Amazing. Um, so, so I'm going to get away from kind of, we, we, we've had a lot of technical and uh, very <laughs> professional conversation, but uh, I, I just want to come back and, and talk to you a little bit more about like your own riding experiences. So um, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that uh, Eichmann trip in, in Milan, that, that sounds like uh, just an incredibly epic um, ride. What, what are some other ones that have stood out in your mind? Some of your, your coolest and, and best riding moments, or is that it? Was that the I pinnacle? mean, th- <laughs> honestly, that was probably the pinnacle. Um, you know, being on your dream bike and being in Italy and, you know, being a young 20 something year old and, you know, I, it was just an incredible experience. Um, but I mean, when I get on my bike in the morning, his name's Leonardo. All I mean, right. <laughs> I say good morning, Leonardo. Leonardo and I talk the whole way to work. We talk about the great things we're going to do. Um, I, I know it sounds super cheesy to say, like, every ride is my best ride, but I just, I'm so happy every time I get on the bike. And I don't get to ride that often because I'm just, you know, I'm traveling for work. It's busy. Um, and so I'm just always so grateful for whatever ride it is. I had shoulder surgery like two years ago and it took me off the bike for over a year. Um, and that was really tough. So I think I look at my rides differently now because I just, I'm, I appreciate being able to ride period. But, um, you know, I've, I've done the Grand Canyon. Um, you know, I've done a couple different road trips around the U S but I just, I I love them all. It just makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so you've done that one's pretty cool. Uh, Grand Canyon. And then uh, when you say you've done road trips across the U.S., like on motorcycle? 
Uh, mostly in California, but okay. yes, on motorcycle. All right, that man. That's um, I was just talking with uh, somebody on on the podcast yesterday that um, he's done from here to um, Michigan and back on a Bonneville. Oh, nice! So it just a crazy epic ride. But uh, so if and you're on gonna, a Bonneville too. So I yeah. have one. I have a Bonneville. It's the one sitting in the lobby. So that's ours. Um, that's such a great cruising bike. How fun must that have been? Yeah, well, he was telling me just a lot about um, the, uh, how he planned that, and uh, he didn't re- really have a plan. So he just um, the, he avoided major highways, and and he went gas station to gas station, and then figured out <laughs> what his next route was going to be <laughs> to the next gas station. So. Um, if you're doing a big trip, how do you go about planning your trip? Well, that's a good question because I haven't planned a big trip in a long time. Um, in, in fact, again, dating myself, the last big trip, which was Grand Canyon, I mean, we didn't even have the internet. I had the paper map. I had the Thomas guide and, you know, highlighted my routes and had to stop periodically to make sure I was going the right way. Cool. Um, I, I, but a lot of people <laughs> still use the maps, right? So, um, I don't know. When it comes to trips, even when I'm just going, I'm not super great at planning because you just never know where you're going to end up along the way and what side roads you're going to want to take when you pass by it. And, you know, for me, I don't do a ton of planning when it comes to actual road trips. Yeah. You just go. That's, that's uh, a little bit part of the fun, right? I, th- I think it is. I mean... You know, at work, you have your schedules every day, Monday through Friday. You're going to get up. You're going to go to the gym. You're going to work. You're going to go home. You're going to feed the dog. And, you know, when you're on a road trip, just do it different. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that that's good advice there. Um, I, I actually, uh, speaking of advice, I'm going to ask you for one more um, bit of advice here. So um, some people may, uh, may be passionate riders and... Um, and you, this was you, right? So you you moved out to California. Um, you, you said you're in the medical field. You said right. I was. You're in the medical field, um, but you you loved motorcycles and loved riding, and and um, actually loved it so much that you wanted to make a, a career out of it, and you were able to do that. Um, if uh, what would be your word of advice for anybody that uh, actually would like to just get into the industry in in any way, right? It, it doesn't necessarily have to be for. Um, something like your role which is a representative of the entire industry but if you just right. um you like motorcycles so much that you you wanted to get a career in motorcycles how like what would be your, your recommendation for anybody that wants to do that i mean it's like any job that you want you just you have to go look for it so i know most of the oes have job listings on their website um there's motorcycle industry job MotorcycleIndustryJobs.com, which is pretty self-explanatory, right? Um, And it's just, you know, identify the brands that you're passionate about. Um, We don't don't have a prerequisite that you have to be a rider to work with us. And, you know, I don't know. When you say what's the advice, it just... Go do it. Go go, go do it. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, it is is pretty simple. I just wanted to... Uh, kind of hear your take on it. and um. I think, it, you know, when you think people, you know, oh, I want to go work for Google, and it just seems like it's the unobtainium, right? You couldn't go do it. But the reality is, you know, there's always going to be good jobs for great people. And so it it doesn't matter, you know, what you do. If you work hard, if you're passionate about anything, you don't even have to be passionate about motorcycles, but you can understand that passion and understand that enthusiasm, then you're going to be able to land wherever you want. 
No, I, I agree with you. And, and everybody's looking for good hard workers, right? This is a, it, it, so yeah, if, if, and, and ones that are passionate about whatever it is that, that they want to do. Cause, um, I tell you what, just, I, I mean, even, even on our end, I'm very fortunate that I'm surrounded by passionate, like-minded people. And, and that just makes, uh, it makes coming to work every day a lot better because I'm, I'm not coming to work with, uh, a lot of people that are, don't want to be there. Right. Well, and I say all the time we could be, you know, working in the plumbing industry and, you know, no offense to anyone out there if you're working in the plumbing industry, but, um, we, we're good people. Right. And I, as you mentioned, I work at the motorcycle industry council, so I'm so fortunate. I get to work with manufacturers. I get to work with distributors, with dealers, with consumers. I get to see every facet of this industry and get to know all the people, not just the manufacturers, not just one market segment. And because of that, when I say we are filled with good people, we truly are. And, you know, again, people get stuck on the word motorcycle, but, you know, we have engineers, we have graphic designers, you have people in IT. And so, again, it doesn't have to be motorcycle focused. We have everybody contributing to this great product that we build. Yeah. Um, you, you just reminded me, so you're um, a representative of, by title, the Motorcycle Industry Council, but um, you mentioned earlier that, that that's also, um, Power Sports has gotten roped into that a little bit more? Well, sure. I mean, the manuf- almost, I'm not going to say every manufacturer, but a, a majority of manufacturers now have four-wheeled vehicles. So, you know, by nature, they're, they fall under our umbrella. Yeah. Um, have you seen... Uh, th- th- this is a this is a doozy. So hold on for this one. All right, buckling up. Uh, I'm just curious, um, <laughs> it, what sort of the similarities and differences between um, people that are, have gotten into four wheeling and and motorcycle riders, and is, is there a correlation? Is there? Um, do you see like a lot of people maybe that that start on in in four and might be looking to make their way over to two wheel because uh, it's all recreation and it's all like people that are li- like um, being outdoors and, and things like that. I, I'm just curious. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't thought about it before. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, obviously there's a different set of requirements of, you know, riding a two wheel versus a four wheel and transporting and where you go and, you know, the training that goes with it to become a rider slash driver of either one. But, um, you know, the reality is it's enthusiast based and, you know, the passion transcends either or. So I've been out on four wheelers and I, I love them. And I'm, I'm certain that that is a two way street. Yeah. All right. Um, no, I, I, I bet, I bet you're right. It, it's gotta be. Cause it, again, it's just, um, you're outside, you're having fun. And, uh, and certainly it, that that's gotta be a profile. So one more for you. Um, and then we're going to wrap up cause I actually got to make sure I don't miss a flight today. <laughs> um, wh- how important is, um, is it to expose kids to, to riding to just to kind of, wh- wh- where do you see that in, um, in like lifelong ridership? Um, how important is it to, to spark that passion young? I mean, to me, it's huge. I think that passion can be sparked at any age, quite frankly. I didn't start riding till I was in my 20s. Um, 
but my dad had a bike. It just was not okay for me to have one. So um, I, th I think you can spark that age anytime, but obviously the younger, the better. It gives you more time to become, you know, a better rider, more skilled, more training. Um, and then you just grow up. I mean, in California, how many kids grew up on dirt bikes? Um, in, tons. Yeah. yeah. In well, Chicago, not so many, but, um, you know, and that'll be part of my excuse for starting to ride so late. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, anything you can do to start influencing them younger is better. Yeah, that, um, that that's an interesting thing because a lot, a lot of people where um, in with my coworkers or just uh, other industry professionals, uh, so many of them have said, I've, I've ridden my whole life or, you know, I started riding as a kid and it, it was all on on dirt bike and and then a lot of that is geographic right if mm -hmm. you're if you grew up in california it's it very likely that you didn't grow up on dirt bikes because that that's just such a, a a part of the the culture here and it's very common and, and in the midwest that's not as much the case uh, and, and a lot of it's just climate related but um yeah that that one's interesting where it, um it, it maybe that that is uh dirt bike specifically is such an avenue for youth yeah, for sure. And, you know, there, there's always going to be that stigma about the safety of it. And, you know, I'll always say that with proper training, you're going to make it as safe as possible. Um, but from, um, oh, what's that word I'm looking for? Not perspective. Damn it. Um, we'll skip that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I try to help you out with that word, but I don't even I don't know where you're going with this one. Oh, not perspective. Uh, perception. Okay. Perception. You know the perception of you know if something were you know to happen to be in the dirt to be on the grass. Just the perception is a little less intimidating than maybe being on the street. Yeah. No. Certainly. Well, and uh, I think that's. Um, I certainly ran across plenty of adult riders that uh, have a, a, a bit more of a um, d d security, uh, d not on the road. It hey, I'm an old lady, and I'm looking forward to getting a dirt bike so I can, you know, keep riding the way I ride and, you know, maybe just have a little bit less stress. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Um, we got one for you. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> just can't talk a lot. It's, it's the number one thing everybody wants to know about. And, well, um, we'll be looking forward to A1 next year, right? Yeah, coming soon. Thanks, Ricky. Uh, <laughs> it'll be fun. So, uh, Cinnamon, lovely to talk to you today. I'm going to pack up and, and go make a flight. But I um, just want to say, like, thank you for everything that you do. And that um, is very heartfelt uh, for me personally. But I, I think it should just be from uh, anybody that values um, this industry and wants to see it th thrive and, and, and wants to see, um, more and more people join it. Uh, your role is, is, is very invaluable. And, uh, so thank you for everything you do. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Right, no problem. All right. Talk soon. All right. Well, that was such a treat to finally sit down with Cinnamon formally and do an interview with her and, and hear what she had to say about the ride with us campaign and, and all the great things that, the Motorcycle Industry Council is doing on behalf of motorcycle riding here in the United States. If you or anybody you know is inspired to learn how to ride a motorcycle, you can give them a head start with a free basic rider e-course if they visit triumphrider.com. We'll email them 
a coupon code to go and take that basic rider e-course. So please help us spread the word because we'd love to grow the riding community. All right, with that out of the way, until next time, ride safe, guys.